Hi, everybody. This is the Ready for Polyamory podcast. My name is Laura Boyle. As usual, I am your host. And today we're talking with my friend Olivia, who prefers to remain generally anonymous. So that is a pseudonym. And she is uh, the kind of person who can go back and forth between being polyamorous and not. We have an explanation later in the podcast from someone who absolutely can't do that, who feels that polyamory is an absolute orientation for them. And we'll get to that later. There's a word that's been coined for people who can go back and forth between polyamory and monogamy. It is ambiamory. And as much as I think it sounds like a medicine for old people, uh, it's the word we've got for now. And I would like the rest of you to get working on a new one so that I don't have to personally keep using this one. Because it's the one that works for me too. But we're going to talk to Olivia about her experiences in doing this. Because I prefer not to do episodes where I just talk. So, we're going to talk with Olivia about her experiences in being someone who has been in polyamorous relationships and monogamous relationships. And the similarities and differences and skills necessary to do each of those and how most of them are, surprise, surprise, pretty much the same if you want to do them in healthy ways. So uh, now that I have entirely spoiled the episode, let's get into the meat of it. Okay, thank you. So... Today's episode is largely going to deal with the sort of theoretical concept as well as practical application of something that Paige Turner over at Polyland, uh, I don't know if I'm supposed to call it Poly.land, guys, what do I do? Anyway, it's linked in the notes, um, <laughs> calls ambiamory, which is this idea that you can be equally happy in either monogamous or polyamorous relationships. And she coined the word basically to avoid any conflict with the folks who view polyamory as an orientation. A giant warning, I do not think polyamory is an orientation. I think it's a relationship style. I think that all relationship styles are equally valid and it is perfectly fine to self-identify in whatever way you choose, but I don't particularly view relationship styles as an identity. Um, and we can have that fight some other time, folks. Email me we can maybe have it on the air. Uh, so, my friend Olivia, who's with us today, is someone who is equally happy in these different kinds of relationship structures. So, unlike me, who hasn't functionally been monogamous for anything except by accident uh, since I was 19, 
she has chosen to be in relationships of each of these kinds and been equally happy in them. So would you like to tell us sort of a little bit of how those things came about? Uh, or sure, if it's more productive to do it in a different format, you let us know. So uh, I grew up in a, a fairly liberal area and most of my, my life I was kind of explained to me that relationships were, you know, like two people and that's, you know, genders don't necessarily matter, but it's, you know, two people. Uh, and I was in a couple of really successful monogamous relationships. Uh, and then I kind of inadvertently started dating someone who was not super communicative with me about the fact that they were dating someone else, uh, which is not the way to do that. As so many people encounter non-monogamy, you met a cheater. Yes. Uh, and I, I was initially very, very upset because I was lied to. And, and to me, it felt justified. You know, I was like, oh, like, how, how could you do this to me? Um, well, right. You were lied to. You were angry about it. Uh, but then as time went on, I started hanging out with people who were kind of involved in the local burner community, which uh, I don't personally care for very much, but there are good people in the community overall, so whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, and I started dating a person who identified as non-monogamous or I guess chose to be non-monogamous um and we had a conversation about it we uh decided that, that was a thing we were willing to try uh and it worked out really well for me because I had also met someone else that I was interested in as well so I was able to kind of pursue those things parallel like Right, so the timing was right, as well as it being the wish of the first person you met. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, now, my experience in the local poly scene, and I'm going to be kind of deliberately vague about where that is, uh, mm -hmm. was not super great. Um, a lot of the kind of young, hotshot poly people uh, don't communicate super great. Uh so I found that like I felt really bad because I had kissed someone without talking to my partner about it first, but then I found out that he had a list longer than both of my legs of people that he had just kissed, and he didn't think that was a thing we needed to tell each other. <laughs> so was it a matter of you guys agreed that you were generally in an open non-monogamous relationship and that you were going to tell each other if you were dating someone and then didn't define what that meant and so he didn't think it mattered that he'd kiss someone or was yeah, yeah. it yeah <laughs> pretty much um i mean to me i kind of was like if you engage with anyone physically past a certain point just give me a heads up you know for the sake of of safety and comfort Right. So it was a matter of setting boundaries that made sense to both of you instead of to only one of you. Mm -hmm. uh, and it, it took a little bit of finagling and communication and, and work. You know, it wasn't easy right away, um, but it was really good. Um, 
it was a it was a good relationship. It ran its course uh, for a couple of unrelated reasons. We just weren't a great fit. Yep. Um, which happens. Uh, I still I would say I'm casually involved with the other person that I started seeing around that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't super say that we're dating just because it's a it's a distance issue at this point. Yeah. Uh, we don't get to see each other very often. Uh, even when one of us has time to make the drive, we both have really conflicting schedules. Yeah. So the affection is there. Uh, you know, the care is there. We tell each other we love each other a lot, but we don't really define it because it doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but then uh, shortly, shortly thereafter, I met somebody through a mutual friend and I really liked him. We got along really well. Uh, and he let me know a couple dates in like, Hey, I don't know what type of types of relationships you've been into, but I'm monogamous, uh, at least initially. Um, you know, this is something we can talk about further on down the road. If that's a thing that, you know, we both decide that we're into, but generally speaking, I consider myself monogamous. Uh, and I really liked him. So I didn't mind saying, okay. Um, you know, and that that was another relationship. It was really good. We had really good communication. We really enjoyed seeing each other. We were physically very compatible. And so I didn't mind not exploring the other options. So it sounds like in general, you were both sort of happy with being in either style of relationship so long as people were communicating with you well. Mm-hmm. And so long as you seemed compatible anyway. Yeah. And then when life gets in the way and there are other breakdowns, the relationships break down. So mm-hmm. you've had a sort of similar breakdown rate in monogamy as in non-monogamy. Yeah. And at this point, see no particular reason to pick one over the other except the preference of a partner who you care for. Yeah. Um, for me, I I tend to find that I I fall in love easily. I don't fall in lust easily. Uh, it's, it's just a weird kind of click in my thinking. Uh, and so as a side effect of that, uh, when I find somebody that I'm romantically attracted to and physically attracted to, that usually takes a decent amount of work. Uh, and a lot of that work is is communication. And one of the things that I really valued about even the person who cheated on me right was that I learned how to talk to people and I learned how much I value that honesty and that conversation so that all makes a lot of sense and I know for me it's kind of the opposite I fall in lust with people super easily and in love Mm -hmm. much less easily or in love as a result of the compatibility of the physical things following that initial rush uh, plus the conversation being good afterwards. Like, Mm -hmm. if we only meet in contexts where there's no appropriate way to act on physical feelings, I can fall in love with someone without that, but only if they give uh, what I would term excellent brainal like Mm -hmm. if they're number one witty and like number two super well read 
mm-hmm. or really willing to argue about politics in mm-hmm. not hmm, not argue about politics in the sense of having different politics mm-hmm. but argue about politics in terms of like the nitty gritty which of these oddly specific things should we be fighting for first? Mm-hmm. What should our calls to action on this greater item that we agree on be? If they can do all of that, mm-hmm. then I can be super into them and fall in love without the physical <laughs> stuff. But without that, I'm kind of the opposite of you. And I agree that once you're at the combination of those two things, the thing that holds it together isn't the loving them or the wanting to sleep with them. It's the communication. Right. And that you can have that in an intentional choice to be monogamous or you can have that in polyamory. Yeah. It's just a matter of, making it clear that communication is the thing you value the most. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the other thing that I really learned and I really value from my, especially from my poly relationships is that I've really worked hard to let go of jealousy. And that's been really helpful for me. Uh, I have a lot of male friends. I, most of my friends are guys. It's just how, how it worked out. Mm -hmm. And, uh, a lot of the men and non-binary folks and people that I've dated have had a lot of female friends. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm also naturally pretty insecure. Um, it just happened that way. It's unfortunate. Um, There's a lot of social conditioning for anyone who appears to be female. Yeah. Um, and so I used to get really jealous. Um, I, in my first serious relationship uh, with someone who is a dear friend of mine now, uh, we were briefly engaged, uh, but he traveled all the time Mm -hmm. and his phone died a lot because it was a different time zone. He was off doing things in Europe, you know, roaming, searching, whatever. And I remember one day I just like went home and I had no reason at all to think anything except I knew he was with a couple of women. And I was like, he's cheating on me. Like, that's 150% what's happening right now. Like, that's what's going on. That's what, that's what's happening. And like, that's not rational, right? Yeah. I, I wound up, you know, going to a lot of therapy and working on stuff like that. But I remember in the first kind of non-monogamous relationship I was in, I was like, that doesn't matter. And that's not helping me. This is not a good investment of what we're doing. You know, I have to trust this person to tell me what's going on. And that's something that I've, I've tried really hard to move into my other relationships with. Well, right. And things like the learning, those communication skills builds you up to the point where, okay, well, we've set the bar of cheating at a very different place. And so it's easier to feel secure about the rest of it. Mm-hmm. Because you've set that bar at that higher point. Yeah. And that gives you time and space to grow the security that then when you're back in a monogamous relationship, okay, well, my security is now higher enough that that bar is fine. Mm-hmm. And in addition to that, 
the one of the strengths of non-monogamy is that even if you are jealous, the message isn't jealousy is terrible, never do it. It's figure out what's going on behind the jealousy and is it a you issue to be worked on? Is mm-hmm. it a us issue, a relationship issue that needs mm-hmm. to be addressed through better communication? Or is it a rules or boundaries we made or I expressed were crossed or broken and like now some action has to be taken. Yeah. And, you know, in in that particular instance, it wound up being just a mean cocktail of uh, undiagnosed anxiety disorder. Um, a, uh, a case of it being my first serious relationship. Mm-hmm. I didn't really know what was going on. Yeah. Uh, and also a lot of insecurity that was also at the time manifesting as as a vicious eating disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, and those three things kind of together with the occasionally he'd just stop texting back and I wouldn't hear from him for like a day. <laughs> um, you know, and and I worked on that. I spent a lot of time on that. You know, and I, I think that being in a relationship where that was something that was more openly communicated about, you know, being in a non-monogamous partnership really helped me understand how that looks in action in a way that I hadn't thought of before or even like wanted to think of before. And I'm sorry to hear that you had to go through all of those sort of big negative expressions of all of that to get to the point where you were able to find these other resources but I'm glad that you've found them and that now that you've found them you're sort of open to a variety of things in your life and it will mostly depend on who you meet and what they want and what the two of you in communication want throughout your relationships yeah I I think that I'm I'm really lucky that I'm so able to be flexible in this way because it, for me, it makes it much more about just the people that I, I meet. I don't have to worry about, okay, this is my dating pool in a way that some folks definitely are more cognizant of. Right. In the way where I've cut my dating pool down to like, 10% of the population because I only want to date people who are currently or have in the past done Mm non-monogamy. And then I've cut it down to a still smaller percentage because I'd like to date people who also have kids so they understand what that's like. Uh, And then it goes down still further because I'm not attracted to all genders of people. Mm -hmm. And so it ends up landing at like, oh... Uh, hey, pool of poly dads. <laughs> and like, that's not a big, deep swimming pool the way the swimming pool of my 20s was, you know? Um, and it, some of it is good and is sort of has been self-discovery in terms of acknowledging 
what things were pushed on me by partners in my 20s and what things were legitimately my own attraction. Uh, and some of it is just sort of situational and me going, eh, well, I'd like to have a nesting partner again, but like not while I have young kids at home. So mm-hmm. uh, my 40s will be the decade of find a nesting partner. <laughs> Yeah. I also, well, you know, my, my, one of my friends described me at one point as the pansexual poly capable, uh, which sounds like a superhero name. That is an amazing Tinder bio, like pansexual poly capable podcast aficionado, uh, and just leave it at that throw some emojis underneath it and then put your cute face all over like guys i know we only have audio for this right now but she's adorable thank you and so when you're swiping and you find uh my friend olivia you should uh swipe right on the pansexual poly capable uh but one of the things that I've made pretty clear with people who have expressed to me interest in exploring polyamory in our relationship is that I will provide you with resources. I want to make sure you're well informed. I want to make sure you're making the right decision. And I'm not going to educate you. You got to educate yourself. I'm not your, your, you know, park ranger into polyamory. I can't, I can't do that. Right. You're not going to emotional crutch their way through something. You're there to be their partner, not their mother, as they learn something. Yeah. I get Manic Pixie Dream Girled a lot. It might be because I have purple hair. It might be because I play a ukulele. It might be because I generally don't care what people think of me uh, or the fact that, you know, I'm pansexual, polycapable, all the things. But, like, I, I don't do that. I'm not your hot goth mom. Like, I'm not... I'm not here for your male fragility. (laughs) Uh, And I also think that's why, generally speaking, and this is, I would say, only somewhat related, uh, is that I generally date older gentlemen. So, you know, it's it's a constant kind of jockeying, I guess, to find someone who shares the same values with you right off the bat, who understands that what, what polyamory means if that's what they want to pursue because a lot of people I've noticed, especially youngins uh, use it as like a, like, so uh, that was a really good date. Do you want to, do you want to screw? I'm Polly though. So I've got like 18 other girls. I hope you don't mind. Uh, And you're like, what? Wait a minute. Well, right. And there's also a lot of the, it's a buzzword now. Mm Mm-hmm. So people throw it around. There's an episode later this season about media portrayal of polyamory and Mm -hmm. the ways that it's good and the ways that it's bad. And one of the ways that I argue that it might not be positive is that being a word that's known, but being a word that's known by women on dating sites as mostly guys trying to cover that they're cheating or single guys trying to cover that they're being 
as dramatically single wrong as possible. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know that I'm not supposed to say that any relationship style is wrong, but guys, if you're like not using any form of safer sex practices with like as many women as you can trick into that as possible, Mm -hmm. and then you're trying to do it while claiming that you're polyamorous and that's why you don't do these things, you have no idea what being polyamorous means and Mm -hmm. to slow your roll. With both monogamous and uh, polyam partners, I make a point within the first six months of dating to go uh, get tested for STIs, uh, but I usually try to turn it into an outing. So, you know, in our city, there's a lot of really cool bars near one of the Planned Parenthoods. You know, we turn it into a you know, get tested in cocktail type situation. Uh, Because regardless of if we're not seeing anybody else, I don't know where you've been, bro. Like, I have literally been the asshole who demands paperwork. Yep. I'm like, you've got your phone with you. Your doctor's office has an app. So remember I promised you that we were going to hear from someone who is polyamorous as an orientation here is where we're going to do that in just a moment and the reason we're going to do it here is partially that here is where olivia and i went off on a giant tangent about how wonderful planned parenthood is at providing community health services and that's why she's chosen to link to Planned Parenthood as a charity of her choice since she can't link to projects of hers because she's being anonymous. Um, But also, here is where we're linking to it because we sort of get into why Ambiamory is a choice we're making after this. So we want to give the... I don't want to say other side because it's not, this isn't an argument. There aren't sides to this. Um, But I want to give other perspectives a moment in this. And polyamory being an orientation that's inborn is the other perspective here. And it's a perspective that is enormously... uh, gaining ground to the point where it's the reason there's a word ambiamory that we can title this episode as and that I could teach Olivia in this episode. Um, So my metamor Daniel Greenwolf is a deeply proud believer in polyamory as an orientation So I've asked him to record a little something for me, and I'm going to include it here for you. So that's up next, and then we're just switching right back into the next portion of my and Olivia's conversation for you. So I hope you enjoy that. But for me, open sexuality, and then later on, polyamory, was like someone had opened a door and I had walked through it. And for some people, I know out there, there are people who can walk through that door, and then go, eh, you know what? For this relationship, 
I'm going to close that door. I'm going to be closed sexually. I'm going to be closed, uh, you know, emotionally with this one person. And I'm okay with that. The fact that that is amazing to me tells me that it's not a choice for me. I can't speak to other people. I know there's a lot of other people out there who feel that polyamory as a relationship orientation is a choice. But for me, I know that polyamory needs to be a part of my life. I know that open sexuality needs to be a part of my life. I know that pansexuality needs to be a part of my life in some way. So for me, it's not a choice. But for others, it could be. And to me, that's amazing. That journey and through that, I was able to meet a bunch of people who are, are poly, people who are monogamous, people who are both like me. Uh, and, you know, kind of creating that space for myself to go, well, wait, I'm poly, but then I wasn't. And wait, what does that mean? You know, like I, you introduced me to the term ambiamorous. Before that, I usually just said I was poly capable and monogamy capable. And both Which, of those are true and you can keep using and none of these have to be identities. Like mm -hmm. it's more if you're talking to people who use their relationship style as an identity right. and you want to have an answer back, there is a one word answer back if you want it. Yeah. And I mean, I, I try really hard to advocate for that as a thing that can exist. Like most things, I think it's kind of a sliding scale. Uh, so, you know, when I came out as pan, a lot of my friends came falling out of the woodwork to go, well, you've only dated men. And I was like, but my attraction and my identity is. Yeah. And I was like, right. But that, that doesn't mean that that's, that's all there is. You know, like you can't only like you can't only know that you like someone after you've had sex with them yeah guys were none of you heterosexual before your first relationship where your penis entered a vagina because and suddenly you knew like i don't think that's how it works I mean, if you were on the fence about it and you had a strong reaction one way or the other, you might have known something about it then mm -hmm. that was new. But if you already knew something and then the thing you already knew was corroborated, that's just that a, corroboration a was not the moment your orientation began right that's just uh empirical evidence at that point uh you know and i i think that that that's part of the reason why i'm not super out uh is that i i genuinely don't like to fight about it i don't like to have i I've, i'm very much with the mary poppins school of uh first of all you must know i never explain anything uh good job explaining everything by the way Thanks. Uh, I'm happy to talk about it with people who are understanding, but, you know, or people who want to learn, but I'm not here to answer your questions or be your kind of poster child for whatever point of view you're trying to Thank push. you for being my poster child. <laughs> um, so, you know, 
I also kind of figure it's it's none of my no one else's business. My my cousin who has never come out brought we thought was straight because she brought guys home one year she brought a girl home now she's married to a beautiful woman, um and that's fine. Like, yeah, like I feel so. The only reason I have an issue with people using their relationship style as an orientation mm-hmm. is the way it fluctuates and that I know so many people for whom it fluctuates. It's mm-hmm. not like they have one polyamorous relationship and then they're polyamorous for the rest of their lives. Mm-hmm. The vast majority of people I know. Or it's not like they know from birth that they're polyamorous mm-hmm. right or that they know from puberty that they're polyamorous yeah. and so even though i haven't particularly been in monogamous relationships like by choice since i was quite young mm-hmm. i don't like throw out the possibility that I might be in a monogamous relationship at some point. Yeah. And like even though my partner has other partners and I'm friendly with my metamors and all that, I only have the one partner at the moment and have mm-hmm. only had the one partner at the moment for over a year now. And like that hasn't really been a problem for me except in a like carrying a weird sort of poly guilt that I'm not being poly enough. I say as I educate about polyamory, write a blog about polyamory, have been polyamorous for 13 years and uh, generally speaking do all the poly things. Um, But right now I only have one partner and so Am I that doesn't numerous enough, and I don't think that really matters, mm-hmm. except in the dark of night when my anxiety is like that. Super matters. It, Why from, doesn't it matter enough? From my perspective, it. I don't think it does matter. I think you, of of all of the poly people that I've known, I'm really impressed by the amount of educating that you're willing to do, uh, for for people around you, and I have absolutely linked people to. Uh, to your blog who for lack of a better term ask questions that aren't that hard to find answers to but is not my job to emotionally labor about Mm -hmm. Um, and the FAQ uh, letters kind of blog that you did is one that I've been linking people to a lot yeah I think in general there are a lot of resources out there that are covering really 101 topics but are covering them at such length that people won't read them Mm -hmm. and so i've been trying to do sort of medium length things or split them into chunks on the blog so that our now minutes long attention spans aren't too destroyed by them yeah or move them into this podcast format where, like, you can listen to it in your car. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then while you walk places if you're an urban dweller. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that way people are more likely to listen to the whole thing at some point. Yeah. Um, 
And I feel like at its most basic sense, ambiamory is the form of non-monogamy that best illustrates the underlying principles of communication and honesty mm-hmm. being the core of making polyamorous relationships work. Yeah. And really the core of making all relationships work. The only difference between polyamory and monogamy that you've thought about is how many people you're allowed to express romantic love for. Mm-hmm. And maybe, depending on how your intentional monogamy works, certain kinds of physical affection for. Mm-hmm. Like, I know people who would say that they're monogamous, but are the sort of Dan Savage monogamish. Mm-hmm. So, like, they're allowed to express physical affection to other people, but they can't express love. Don't you dare. But, like, those well, people might consider themselves intentionally monogamous. Mm-hmm. And I think that's fine. They can consider themselves whatever they consider themselves and express it in whatever way they want. But so long as you're having conversations, yep. just like you're saying, building trust in the communication of the other person mm-hmm. before you get to any of the rest of it defines the structure later. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that I, I think is really, you know, in, in just kind of a, a practical example that I think can apply to any relationship style, I'm still really good friends with my ex-fiance, like really good friends, like mm-hmm. talk a couple times a week friends. And I make a point of sitting down with people that I am dating, seeing, whatever you want to call it, and just explaining, listen, like, I'm still very close emotionally with someone that I used to have a romantic relationship with. Uh, I know that's a deal breaker for some people, but I'm telling you early on and I'm telling you now so you can get to know this person, get to kind of get to know how we do if that's a thing that you need help with. You know, if that's a thing you you need to kind of see to believe Right. If later you need reassurance about it, I understand that. And if right now you need to meet them as part of the process of later, hopefully not needing that reassurance, I'm Uh happy to set that up. Yeah. And that has happened in monogamous relationships. That's happened in non-monogamous relationships. He's someone who's been in my life for like seven years in like six different forms now. As far (laughs) as I'm concerned, he's a non-negotiable. You know, but I, I know that some people have issues with that, and that's fine. So I try to make make it clear. And that kind of, that and having the very frank conversation about, you know, sex and STIs, I think helps to kind of set the tone for what what I'm expecting in terms of communication. Awesome. So basically, thank you for talking to me about all of these subjects that you don't usually talk to people about in public. Mm-hmm. Or that you usually don't want to educate people about and want to sort of send them a link and go, okay, and Google it if you need more. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I really appreciate the effort. Yeah. So thanks especially to Olivia. And also a quick thanks to Daniel uh, for talking to me about all of this for this week's episode. 
And thank you to all of you for listening. And as usual, you can visit the blog at readyforpolyamory.com. You can visit the Patreon and subscribe and keep the lights on at patreon.com slash readyforpolyamory. You can visit ko-fi.com slash readyforpolyamory and leave me a one-time tip. You can always uh, see all of these links and more in the notes below. Uh, in Olivia's case, this week's special guest link is to donate to Planned Parenthood. And uh, as always, our intro and outro music are provided by the extremely talented and lovely as a human Vince Conaway. And his website is linked below. Uh, I think that's about it. Have a great week, everybody. Mm-hmm.